and standing, and let's have a word of prayer. When you think about the Lordship of Jesus Christ, you know, it's more than just um, thinking about green pastures and that type of thing. It's Psalm 23, He leads me to. And sometimes getting from where you are now to that green pasture, sometimes that's rough. And yet He's still your shepherd, He's still your Lord in all of those kind of things. And so during the pilgrimage we have on this earth, we still experience the same things that the world does in so many aspects. But the joy of it is knowing that the Lord is with us. And you have resources that the world doesn't have. You have power that the world doesn't have. And you also, when you're walking through those things, you have leadership that the world doesn't have. They stumble around in the dark, and you are walking in the light because of the Lord. So if you know somebody who is going through a trial right now, I want you to bow your heads, close your eyes, and lift them up in prayer. If you're going through a trial, I want you to do something that may seem a little weird, but you know better than that. Thank the Lord for the trial. And thank the Lord for His presence. And thank the Lord for His leadership. And thank the Lord for what He is teaching you during this trial. And the footprints that you're leaving for others to follow. It may not really be about you. It may be for someone else. Would you just spend a little bit of time praying for yourself and praying for one another. And praying for people who might be watching you. And maybe even following you through this. I'll give you a moment to pray and then I'll lead us. Now, Father, as we walk through the various things that we go through in life, I heard today about Johnny Erickson Tata over 50 years, 50-some years in a wheelchair, and how it takes two women two hours to get her up and dressed and ready for the day, and two hours to get her ready for bed at night seven days a week 365 days a year for all of these years since her diving accident I wonder how we could handle something like that we complain over hangnails comparatively don't we and I pray father that you would remind us there's always somebody that's in a worse situation than we are and whether we are in a bad situation or a really good situation, there's one thing that we've been singing about. We ought to act like Jesus really is Lord, that he's in control. And we ought to act like it because it's based on the reality that he is. And our trials are what Paul calls light and momentary afflictions. Boy, they don't feel like it. And they don't seem like it. But yet, in perspective of eternity, that's the way that they are. And I pray, Father, that you would put some joy in our heart today to say whatever, whatever path we're on right now, I pray you would cause us to smile with every step. I pray that we would cry out to you and depend upon you and that we would follow you every step of the way from here to glory. 
I pray we wouldn't be the rebellious sheep that you have to come after. And I pray we wouldn't be the selfish ones that refuse to worship. May we give you glory in everything that we do. And I pray, Father, that the things you teach us through the trials of life, we would pass them on to other people and be a good example to them. But may it all be for your glory. So bless, comfort, strengthen, heal, forgive, and motivate, and unify us, and fulfill the prayer of Jesus in John 17 in us and in our families and in our church so that you might be honored and glorified. And, oh, Father, we're thankful for the privilege of praying for other people, but is there anything else we can do? Is there some encouragement we can give them? Is there some ministry we can perform? Open our eyes to that so that we can be what you want us to be in relationship to other people as they uh, suffer through their trials. And, Father, we remember to pray for our nation. We remember to pray for these upcoming elections. And we pray that Christian people would be responsible and good stewards with their vote. We pray, Father, you would have mercy upon our nation. Can I get an amen on that? And we pray that you would bless us and allow us to continue to be a blessing to our nation and to the world for your glory. We pray for our president's health, and we ask you to help him through all of this. And we pray for the other people that have tested positive for COVID-19. Please heal them and raise them up. And we pray that you would show your strength and your power in our land and bless us once again, not because we deserve it, but because you're a kind and gracious and forgiving God. And we pray you would do this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Let's turn in our Bibles this morning to the book of Exodus. And we are in chapter 14. I've been anxious to... Uh, get back because we've left these people on the banks of the Red Sea for far too long and we need to uh, uh, work to get them across and we're not going to quite do it today but uh, we are going to look at the fact that while they were by the Red Sea according to the scripture these people were well to put it mildly they were panic stricken and I don't blame them if you saw those 600 chariots, the choice chariots, not to mention the scrubs, and you saw all the foot soldiers and the cloud of dust coming up, and there you are on the banks of the sea. Well, you can't go out into the water or you'll die. And on the other side, there, there was a desert. And when you think about desert, you think about exposed, vulnerable. Where do you hide in the desert? I've always uh, wondered why uh, I was driving through uh, Texas one time, when my mom was at MD Anderson and I drove through Huntsville, Texas and I go, oh, this is where their big penitentiary is. You know, when you think about Texas and all of the expanse and the plains and you think about West Texas and all of that, why'd they put their prison in the place where there are so many trees? You know, if it were me and I would do the same thing in Oklahoma, I wouldn't have it in McAllister. I'd have it way out there and I would have it to where it's wide open and you can see for miles and I wouldn't even bother to put up walls. I put up a tower and somebody comes up and says, number 3507 has escaped. Yeah, I see him. Are you going to go get him? Not yet. And we'll just watch him through the binoculars and after about three days, we'll go get him. 
and bring them back. It seems like because in that kind of area, you're exposed and you're vulnerable. And that's the way the people of Israel were. If they had taken off across the desert, first of all, they didn't have the resources for it. And uh, they would have died. And secondly, the Egyptians, all that, I mean, they could camp by the sea and just watch. And then go after them after they've rested up. And when, they're, uh, when the Israelites are worn out, it's a, it's a tough thing to be in their situation. So when they look at this, they find themselves having absolutely no way out. One way is sure and certain death. And the other way is exposure and sure and certain death. So, choice of A, choice of B, all leads to the same place. How do you want to die? And so when they're looking at all of this, the presence of God, the miracles of God, everything that Moses has said, it's kind of forgotten very quickly. It's like it's deleted. You know, have you ever accidentally deleted anything on your computer? Just gone, and you can't get it back. And so there they are thinking, why has God... Why has Moses brought us out here to where if we choose A, certain and sure death. If we choose B, it's certain and sure death, maybe a little slower. What what do you do? And so they began to panic. And they began to say, why have you brought us out here where there are no graves in Egypt? And what is the point of all of this? And a lot of people today struggle with the same thing. We wonder why God has us where we are. We wonder why it seems like the promises made in the past, the hope that was given to us in the past, doesn't seem to be real, doesn't seem to be relevant. It doesn't seem to be anything that we can get a hold of at this particular time. In fact, you may have found yourself in a situation to where you go, Lord, I want to be right with you and I want to believe you and follow you, but I don't see any way out of this. In fact, one of the ways that I could go, it seems like it's nothing but exposure and humiliation and all of that kind of thing, like going out in the desert. And the other one is about as satisfying as jumping into the water and drowning to death. What, what is it that I'm supposed to do? And we begin to whine and we begin to complain and our prayer life turns into a whine fest and we talk to other people and we can't see any hope. We don't encourage anybody because we don't see any way out of where we are. And this is kind of where we find the uh, people of Israel. And uh, there they are, the covenant people of God with all of the promises of God that have been given to them as a nation and as a race of people and as a family, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And there they are looking as though that everything favors the Egyptians. Everything favors the enemy. Everything favors the pagans. Everything is on their side. And you know, I hear a lot of believers in our own culture, we do the same thing. You know, the world has the media, and that's our problem. Boy, if we had the media, boy, we could really do something. Folks, where in the Bible does it ever say that we are to gain the favor of the media? We look around and we say, well, they have Hollywood, and they have everything that's on television, everything that's shown in the movies, and all of these actors and actresses. Uh, everything they say, it goes against 
what we believe. It goes against what our culture has been founded on. Oh, if we only had celebrities. But have you ever noticed over the years that whenever an athlete or a movie star or a, an entertainer becomes a Christian, they automatically lose their standing in the world. Nobody listens to them anymore except us. And we get excited about it, but very little changes. We look around and we say, well, if only A, B, or C would happen. We need a, a certain president or we need certain people on the courts. Have you ever been disappointed by a president? Have you ever been disappointed by somebody that was supposed to be maybe a conservative on the court? And the reason I say that is not just to be political. I just noticed over my 60 years that liberals are never disappointed with their court appointments and conservatives almost always are. You know what the Lord is teaching us through that? Quit barking up the wrong tree, child of God. Quit trying to get resources that don't work. Everything that the Egyptians, quote unquote, have is doomed for failure. And this story teaches us that. And we ought to know that by now. All of the Goliaths that are out there are destined and doomed to fall. We look at our life and we see they are so many and they are so big and they have so much money and they are so powerful and they are so influential. And I'll just say stop and consider this. They are without God. And you and I have God with us on our side. If God is, don't forget these two words, for us, who can be against us? And we forget that God is for us. And he is working in us and through us according to his good pleasure. So with that in mind, we had the same resources that the children of Israel had when they were trapped by the Red Sea. In other words, maybe, you know, there's the old story about the country boy who went to seminary. And when he got to seminary, he had a liberal professor. And the liberal professor said, well, at the Red Sea, that was really not the Red Sea. It was another part of it. And it just kind of seemed like it was the same thing. And the water level was down. And, uh, uh, you know, the, the, all of this happened so that they could walk across in four inches of water. And the country boy got excited and started saying, hallelujah, glory to God. And the professor said, why would you shout about that? And he said, it's an even bigger miracle. All them Egyptians drowned in four inches of water. And that's the way we ought to look at everything we do in life. Look at us. We're trapped by the desert. We're trapped by the sea. Hallelujah. How's God going to get us out of this one? Because he is a miracle-working, promise-keeping God. And we forget about those kind of things. And we look at things from a worldly perspective. And I think the Lord is calling us up through stories like this to uh, walk in faith. So, would you read the verses with me? Let's go to uh, Exodus 14, and let's begin reading at verse 13, okay? Exodus 14, 13. And keep in mind, this is a word for panicked people. And a lot of people are living in a state of panic today because they don't like what's going on. Well, I don't either. And you shouldn't. You shouldn't be comfortable in this world. It's going the wrong way, but there's no cause for panic. Let's trust God. And Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. Mm. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, 
which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you will see again no more forever. This is it, in other words. The Lord will fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. That might be a good word for some of you on social media. Verse 15. And the Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? In other words, quit whining. Tell the children of Israel to go forward. If I were Moses, I'd say, uh, you tell them, right? Now, what am I supposed to do as Moses? Look at the next verse. But lift up your rod and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. And indeed, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians, and they shall follow them. So I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over all his army, his chariots, and his horsemen. Then the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gained honor for myself over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. That's not the end of it, is it? And the angel of God, I believe, by the way, that's a, a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ. The angel of God who went before the camp of Israel moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud went from before them and stood behind them. And so it came between the camp of the Egyptians in the camp of Israel, like a wall. Thus it was a cloud and darkness to the one, and it gave light by night to the other, so that the one did not come near the other all that night. Isn't that interesting? What was a cloud to one was a light to the other. And I think it's that way in the world today. And I think it's that way in our life. You look at the Word of God and the world sees it as a bunch of foolishness and they see it as nothing but restrictive. We see it as light. We see it as freedom. We see it as power. And there's a separation that God makes between His people and the people of the world. He does not see us all the same. He loves us with an everlasting love. He loves us with a maximum love. And we bear His name and He watches over us. And here you find that the angel of the Lord did something that I think is very, very precious. He got behind them and he kept the Egyptians away. And he brought light to them so that they could see what they were doing. They weren't taking a leap into the dark. They were taking a leap into the light, which is what faith really is. Understand that. Now, let me give you some words to think about. First of all, I want you to think about the word posture. Now, by that, I don't mean simply standing up straight like your mom used to tell you tell you. I'm thinking about the way the people of God, what was their posture when they saw the Egyptians? Well, it wasn't a very faith-filled 
optimistic, confident type posture. They begin to wilt. They begin to cry. They begin to whine. Even their prayer just turned into a, a whiny prayer, something that was really not very honoring to God and something that, well, the Lord even told Moses, stop. Did you notice that? Because everything they were saying was not an affirmation of who God is and what he is going to do and what he has promised. It was actually them saying that this doesn't look right. We don't really believe you. We don't trust you. We're not sure what you're going to do. And we have no idea what we're supposed to do. And it's nothing but panic. And I wonder how many times when maybe our children watch us in a tough situation. Maybe it's a diagnosis by a doctor. Maybe it's a financial shortfall. Or who knows what it might be. It might even be on uh, November 3rd. Uh, we look at all of this and what do we show our children? Do we show them confidence in the promises of God? Because whoever is elected on November 3rd, Romans 8.28 will still be in the Bible on November the 4th. And all of the promises of God will still be intact and everything God intends to do, well, it's, it'll still be there and it'll be on course. But if we're not careful, something far more detrimental than your candidate not being elected is going to take place. Your children might see you as cause to not really believe God. To not really understand his word. We've got to show them and we've got to show people that we work with. We've got to show people in our neighborhoods. We've got to show young, weak believers, new believers. We've got to show them that our God is able. That our God is trustworthy. No matter what may be going on around us. No matter what may be happening. Good or bad or what evil may be doing. Our God reigns and Jesus is Lord. He's still Lord. He always will be Lord. And he'll do everything that he promised to do. And if we're not showing that. And if it's not the reality of our heart. And this is what you need to be praying about. God is not calling us to fake it till you make it. God is calling us to get the reality of this so strong in our hearts that we can be steadfast and immovable and always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that our labor is not in vain. And so I want to think about how you posture yourself so many times whenever trouble comes. And do people watching you, especially those who are coming up behind you, do they see faith and do they see hope or do they see panic and get the idea that God is not trustworthy? So secondly, notice that we have the word promise here and promise implies optimism and hope. When a dad tells his son, we're going to go fishing Saturday. And the little boy goes, are we really? And dad goes, son, I promise. What do you think's in the mind of that little boy? Well, eh, probably not going to work. Well, not if you're a man of your word. If you're a man of your word and you tell your child, I promise we're going to do this, it ought to inspire hope in them. That little boy ought to go to bed that night going, my daddy's going to take me fishing Saturday. My daddy's going to take me fishing Saturday. He ought to get up and go to school the next day and tell his teacher, my daddy's taking me fishing on Saturday. Telling his friends, my daddy's taking me fishing on Saturday because he has hope. 
And hope is not crossing your finger and wishful thinking. It is confident assurance that is based on the promises of God. And we ought to be like the little child. My father promised me that this is working together for good. My father promised me that he's going to see me through to the other side. You see, the Israelites should have been on the bank of the Red Sea saying, I don't know what's going to happen, but my daddy promised me that we're going to go to the land of Canaan. My father promised me that he is going to see us through and give us that land as an inheritance. I wonder how he's going to do it. And it ought to be that the faith and the hope that we have is based upon the promises of God. And every promise that we see God fulfill ought to cause us to have even more hope and have more optimism because our God is the God who always keeps his word. He's the God that we're told in the scripture that cannot lie. And so today you'll see again no more forever these Egyptians. I mean, could he say it any more clearly? Could he make it any more concrete? You shall see again no more forever these Egyptians. In other words, Pharaoh's day of ruling over you, it's over. It is gone. The day of being beaten by your taskmaster, it's over. It's gone. There's no more possibility of that happening again because I'm going to take care of them and I'm going to destroy your enemies. How's it going to happen? Well, verse 14 says, well, the Lord's going to fight for you and you shall hold your peace. You know, one of the things that I've noticed about panic people, they don't stand still and they don't hold their peace. They're frantic. They talk to everybody. Some of you are having trouble in your life because you talk to too many people. And all you're getting is confusion. All you're getting is this opinion, this opinion, this opinion. And about the time you think you're getting settled, somebody says, but then again. And then now you're all blown up again and you don't know what to do. And people watch you and they see you just kind of, I'll date myself here. You're like a ball in the pinball machine. And you're just bouncing around all over the place. And there's nothing that's really happening and nothing. You're not making any progress. And some of you wonder, why am I not growing in the Lord? Well, it's because you're not walking by faith. You're walking in panic because you've forgotten the promises of God. And you think that some of your experiences have negated those things. And you think that some of the experiences of others, you've watched them. And boy, it didn't seem to work for them. They raised their children in church and look what happened. These people, you know, gave money every week and look what happened to them. And these, you know, all of that kind of stuff. And you're focusing upon the wrong thing. You need to get into the word of God. And you need to remember who God is and remember his word. And you need to remember his promise. This is a go-forward religion that we have. It's not a backup. It's not a retreat. It's not a go sideways. It's not a panic. What are we going to do? Let's try something. Children of Israel, tell the children of Israel, God said, to go forward. And you lift up your rod and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go on dry land through the midst of the sea. Now, how does that work? I don't know. How does that happen? I don't know, but God said it, and that settles it, whether you believe it or not. That means it is true. And so we act upon what God has said, and we act on that because the time of slavery, the time of being dominated by the Egyptians, the time of being afraid of them, God says it is over. We uh, used to sing a song when I was at a church when I was in college. 
It said, um, he signed my deed with his atoning blood. He ever lives to make his promise good. Though all the hosts of hell march in to make a second claim, kind of like these Egyptians, they all march out at the mention of his name, Jesus. Why? Because we belong to someone else. You are not your own, the apostle Paul said. You are bought with a price. And when somebody owns you, they are responsible for you, and God owns you, and he is responsible for you for everything that happens in your life. He has ownership over you, and he is faithful. And when we trust his promises, that ought to cause us to have hope and optimism. Then here's another word. Number three is the word providence. God wins every time. God's not a defeated God who is going to figure out a way to win. He's already won. He is Lord of all. He is the victor. When Jesus sat down at the right hand of the Father, he was told by his Father, sit down here until I make your enemies your footstool. Not to see if we can, but just wait till it happens. Why? Because God has already won the victory. And when the, the Lord speaks here to them, he says, I'm going to do this hard-heartening thing again. And this hard-heartedness, that's the idea of I'm going to let their heart become proud and arrogant and set in their ways. Because I'm thinking, if I were an Egyptian, and I'm in my chariot, and I see Moses, that guy that turned the Nile into blood and all of those things, if he holds out his staff and all of a sudden the water parts, I'm not going in that for anything, are you? But their heart was so proud and arrogant, they said, well, if they can do it, we're Egyptians. We can do it better. And so they took off into the water for their own demise and their own defeat. And God took care of all of them. You see, there's something about the heart. Solomon said in the book of Proverbs, from it spring the issues of life. You've got to guard your heart. And so many times we focus upon action. I'm not saying action is not important, but action should come from the heart. And if the heart gets right, the action will be right. But if the heart is wrong, then the actions are not going to have their desired effects. And so we look at all of this and we realize that the issue for the Egyptians is the same issue for Graceway. What about the heart? Is your heart in it? We're going to start Sunday school next week. Is your heart in that? We're looking at the Word of God today and we're learning and being reminded of some things. Is your heart in it? You've got things you've got to do as soon as you leave here today. Will your heart be in it or are you just going through the motions? God was not calling anybody to just go through the motions. In fact, he was saying that the Egyptians, to their destruction, they were going to do what they did out of a hard, arrogant heart. And you know, the Bible tells us what pride will do. It leads to destruction. It uh, goes before a fall, right? And that's exactly what's happening here. And the same thing is true for you and the same thing is true for me. We've got to constantly be submitting our heart to God. So what does that have to do with providence? Here's the thing. Whatever God has ordained to do is going to happen whether you agree with it or not, whether you're with him or not, whether your heart is right or not. And you can either go through life 
with your heavenly father dragging you by the hand like you might pull a two-year-old along. They're kicking and they're screaming and they're mad and they've got tears running down their face and they're making a spectacle of themselves, but they don't care and they're an embarrassment to their parents. You ever seen a kid like that? You ever had a kid like that? And the father says, I'm telling you we are going right now. Do you understand? Is that the way you want your walk with God to be? One of just sheer authority. One to where he just pulls you along and drags you through things. And you never learn. You never enjoy. You never relate. You never grow. You just drug along through life. Because sadly, I just described some of you who have been saved for decades. You haven't learned to love. You haven't learned to trust. You haven't learned to submit. Your heart is still set on what you want to do. Your heart is still set upon what you think God ought to do. And He ain't doing it. And so you're being drugged through life. Being drugged through circumstances. And you wonder, where is the joy? Screaming, hollering two-year-olds are never joyful. Let that sink in. If all you are hearing from God is, go to your room till you learn to settle down. I remember those days, don't you? I don't remember ever going to my room and sitting on my bed and going, I love my mother. Did you? I hope dad comes in here with a belt and shows me how much he loves me. I, I never did that. And some of us, our relationship with God never gets to maturity. It never gets to trust. It never gets to the joy. Some of you know what it was like to be that two-year-old in trouble and yet come out of that and grow up and have a good friendship relationship with your mom or with your dad. And you enjoyed them. And you enjoyed being around them. And God wants to bring you in maturity out of that stage to where you just endure His providence to where you enjoy His providence. And you walk with Him because you're experiencing Him and His comfort and His love and His joy and His power because you're walking by faith and not by sight. Because God's going to win every time. With you or with the enemy. With you as His child, don't try to rebel against Him and bow up against Him and kick and scream and all of that because He will win every time. And then the last thing that uh, I noticed here is I put down the word protection. The Bible says that when the Egyptians are getting closer and closer and closer and closer, Moses stretches out his rod. About the time that happens, the pillar of cloud, the angel of God, the, the guidance, the presence of God does something strange. It goes from the front to the back. It's almost like he's pushing them on. You've got to go, and you've got to go now. My uncle was a paratrooper in World War II. You know, I think I would like a jump 
if I could ever get out of the plane. I think that one step from the edge of the plane toward nothing, I think if you could get me over that once I got out there and once the chute caught, I think I would probably like it. I don't think I could get to that point. Can you imagine what it must be like back in World War II and the kind of planes they were in and you got people from the ground shooting at you and you don't know where you're going to land. Some of those people would land in a tree upside down and if they cut the ropes, they fell and would probably die. That's a hard thing to be in. I'm thinking about uh, the protection of God here because I'm thinking that I would have to have somebody going, go now. And while I'm standing there, they would probably have to come behind me and go, mm. and then we have the issue settled, don't we? I'm out, the chute opens, we do what we need to do. And it's as if God is behind them so that he can give his people a nudge. He can give them a book. Go on. Go, 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 go now. Can you imagine? But the text says that there was something else happening. The cloud that was back there was a fog to the Egyptians. But it was a light to the children of Israel. Can you imagine going through those waters, how dark it must have been? Well, no, it wasn't because God was the light and he was the one who showed the way for them. They knew exactly where they were going. It was a leap into the light. The Egyptians are back there in the fog. They're back there in the dark. And the Bible says that the two camps, the two camps never met. And God said, don't touch my people. God said, you're not getting any closer to my people. They are mine. I am watching over them. I was watching a cop show the other day, and when they got ready to run out there, one of the partners said to the other, I've got your six. Well, no, what in the world is that? Well, I found out, if you look at the face of your watch, you have 12 o'clock in front of you, 6 o'clock behind you. You know what they were saying when I got your six? I got your back. You know what God's saying to you today? Wherever you go, I've got your back. An omnipresent God has everything under control in any battle, any situation that you face. Move forward. This is the position and the protection of a loving God who very tenderly says, I'm not going to lead you now. I'm going to go and watch your back and I'm going to keep you from being overrun by the enemy and I'm going to keep them away from you and I'm going to put them in darkness while I put you in light. And what a wonderful, wonderful thing that is for the Lord to do that. So let's wrap up and let's think about uh, this omnipotent God who can be wherever he needs to be. And let's think about, I mean, an um, omnipresent God who can be wherever he needs to be. That's the good news about it. An omnipotent God who is always ready and able to protect his children. And an omniscient God who always knows where to be and what to do. He knows everything that's going on. And I'll just ask you this question. How can we lose with a God like this? How can we lose with a God like this? Let's change our attitude and change our action. And just because it's God's will doesn't mean it's easy. This is not an easy thing. This would be very frightening. It's more than just persistence. It's called faith. I walk because of faith. I persevere because of faith. I persist because of faith. And it's more about God's glory than it is about our comfort. Spurgeon said, remember by perseverance 
the snail reach the ark. And God calls us to persevere. But it's more than just because we're too tough to quit. It's because God's word within us. You see, the reason the snail persevered to get to the ark is because God was calling the snail, like the other animals, to the ark. And God is calling us to himself. And God is calling us to the battle. And God is calling us to faith. And God is calling us to press on toward the mark of the high calling of Jesus Christ. And not let anything or anyone deter us. Because our eyes are fixed upon Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. I love politics, but I can't get focused on politicians. I've got to focus on Jesus. I love my family, but I can't be focused on my family. I've got to be focused upon Jesus. I love my church, but I can't be focused upon the church. I've got to be focused upon Jesus. And that's the calling for every one of us. And if we will focus on him and follow him, we're going to be able to say when it's all over, boy, that was scary, but God did it, and he does all things well. Praise his name. Can you say amen to that? You may have blown it up to this point, but today's a new day and his mercies are new every morning. You may not know the Lord Jesus as your Savior. You may be watching by live stream. Will you turn from your sin and will you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord today? That his death on the cross paid for all of your sins and that he is your victorious Lord and submit to him as Lord. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Will you call upon him today as your Savior and Lord? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we think about these principles today and as we learn them, I pray, Lord, that we would not be able to get away from them. And I pray that we would think about every aspect of our life in light of this simple little outline today and in light of this story. You call us to persevere, and you're the one that fights, and you're the one that defeats our enemies. And we thank you so much for that. And we do it in Jesus' name, for your glory. Amen and amen.